Welcome to the Grace of Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence to encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. You can learn more about us at gracedeugene.com. Here's the podcast. This next week, this next week, Casey mentioned... um, It's one thing to do something as a church, for us as a community, to engage in some sort of initiative or discipline, but to engage in it with over 400 churches from over 80 different countries is something special. And as a part of Every Nation Churches, that's what we are a part of. And globally, we engage in this week together. We engage in this prayer guide and this, this, all these things together, the devotional content. So you can know that when you wake up Monday morning and you go through this devotional and you pray for these prayer points, that a brother or sister in Pakistan, Romania, China, and the underground church all over the world are engaging in these same things. Now, I get how time zones work, so it won't be at the exact same time as you, okay? But we are committed to doing this. And For those of you that have been overseas and done missions and seen what God does on a broader scale, especially um, in our our church family, this is encouraging. This is an amazing thing to be a part of. So um, in that, we're also uniting on a sermon series that goes along with the topic. So today we begin a sermon series that joins with all our churches from across the world. And there are times when God may speak a word to people individually And there are times when God speaks to a church, but on a yearly basis, as every nation, churches, and ministries, God gives us direction as a global family of churches on a focus for the year and for our prayer and fasting. That theme then goes into different conferences and equipping moments we have throughout the year. And this year's theme is to abide. It's to abide. And what that word means is to remain And sometimes the most bold and courageous thing that we can do is to remain when things are hard, when they're not easy. Sometimes the most bold and courageous thing we can do is to remain. However, the reason we can abide in the word is that the word first came to abide with us. And that's what we are going to talk about. Today, I'm going to ask you as we get started to open your Bibles, if you have them, your apps, whatever it is, or just look at the screens I think they're trustworthy by this point in the service. We've worked out the kinks. But we're going to be in John chapter 1. We're going to be in John chapter 1. And I'm going to read the text that we will be using throughout the message. I'm just going to read through it all. We're going to pray and then we're going to dive in. So, John 1, 1 through 5, and then we'll jump up to 9 through 18. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. And through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you. The word became flesh. That you came to earth as a man to pay an ultimate price. And I pray that through this message today, your Holy Spirit would contextualize this good news for us and in us, and that it would yield the right response. So we thank you for this time. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. So the title of the message today is The Word Became Flesh. The Word Became Flesh. So when we read the book of John, we can't help but ask ourselves, or even if we read the first five verses of John, we can't help but ask the question, what do we believe about Jesus? And if you've been to church, hopefully for any more than one week, you have been compelled to ask that question for yourself. If you've been around Jesus following people, a discipleship community, hopefully this is a question that you are not being asked for the first time today. What do we believe about Jesus? And it's not only important that we believe in Jesus, but we have to understand what we believe about him. It's one thing to believe that something exists. It's another to believe one holds a place of power and authority and a source of hope in our lives. Amen? We can believe that something exists, but that doesn't necessarily determine how we interact with it. We need to understand what we believe about him. We will respond to Jesus based on who we perceive him to be. We will respond to him in a manner that indicates who we perceive him to be. The whole purpose of the Gospel of John is to help us see Jesus for who he really is. All of the amazing depths of who he is, how he connects the Old Testament and fulfills prophecy and gives us meaning for life and purpose and hope for eternity restored with our Creator. That is the purpose of this Gospel of John. And this is clearly stated in John 20, verse 31. It says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why this is written, so that you will believe Jesus is the Messiah and you will have life in his name. My faith for us today and throughout this series is that we would not only learn about Jesus, but we would experience Jesus through his living word. That is my faith for us in this message, in this series. So let's rewind. We're going to go back and we're going to, we're going to kind of revisit some of those scriptures I read at the beginning. John 1, 1 through 3. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, it's a little confusing if you haven't heard that before. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has 
been made. So in this passage, we see the word referenced several times. And the Greek word here is logos, or logos, depending on how Western you are in your pronunciation. But the word is logos. Now, there's something unique about how this word is used in John chapter 1. And while this word appears 330 times in the New Testament, it is only found capitalized once, and that's in John chapter 1. So this word logos, it appears numerous times throughout the New Testament, but here is the only place where it is capitalized. What this leads scholars to believe is that there doesn't seem to be another occurrence referring to the personification of this idea of the word or speech as we see it in John 1.1. Throughout the rest of John, it appears that the primary usage is the reference to words spoken to Jesus or in Jesus referring to words spoken by the Old Testament prophets. However, throughout the book of Acts, the word also refers to different sermons or gospel presentations from Paul and other missionaries. But still the fact remains that in John chapter 1, this is a unique usage of the word logos, or the word, the word, um, compared to other occurrences in the New Testament. And so what this is telling us is that the logos, the word, was with God. And indeed, it was God himself. And that this word was in the beginning, and it, was, it participated in the creation of all things. So when I say that the word participated in the creation of all things, this should be one of those moments where you're like, ah, that makes me think of something somewhere else in the Bible. This should point us back to the creation narrative in Genesis chapter 1. Now notice the similarities in the beginnings of Genesis and John. Genesis shows us how God created through his word. In fact, there are eight times in Genesis 1, 3 through 26, where it said, Then God said this, and it was so, or it happened. God's word declared something into existence, and it was so. He created with his word. In fact, the very first thing that God spoke into existence through his word was light. And just as God's word brought light to darkness in creation... Even so, God's word would once again bring light into darkness in bringing Jesus to earth. In creation, God's word brought light into a chaotic and dark place. And through Jesus, in John chapter 1, we see that God's word brings light through Jesus, God incarnate, into a dark and chaotic world. John 1 through 4 through 5 says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This light is no one other than Jesus Christ himself. And we see Jesus revealing himself as the light throughout the gospel of John, and even in other gospels and throughout the New Testament, he is referred to as the light. John 8, 12 says this, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, being Jesus, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now remember, I made a statement earlier that we will respond to Jesus based on who we perceive him to be. 
And we read in John chapter 1 that not everyone responded properly to this light of Jesus coming into the world. Said the darkness did not comprehend, it did not overcome, it did not understand, depending on the translation you use. Said the world did not know him. His own did not receive him. If you remember those scriptures you read through at the beginning, even though he made the world and it was his, the world did not know him. They did not receive him. And if we read the rest of the gospel, we will see this play out in the life of Jesus, that people did not receive him in a manner becoming of who he was. There was many improper receptions of the good news of Jesus and him being the Messiah and the good news to the entire world. That there were those who rejected Jesus shows us a lot about the condition of the world, doesn't it? Like that Jesus came and he was so easily rejected. But even more so, it reveals about the heart condition of humanity. It's not just people's circumstantial like response to Jesus coming into the world, but it's more a revealer of the condition of the heart that has been infected with sin in the current state of humanity. Now, it's impossible to be around the word or the light or Jesus and completely miss who he is. Have you guys ever seen that show Undercover Boss? Of course. Who hasn't seen Undercover Boss? Well, if you haven't seen it, the basic premise is some boss CEO goes undercover, see, it's a profound title, um, disguises themselves and goes out to their whatever local manufacturing or distribution facilities or retail centers disguised and tries to like see, oh, what's the morale of my people? What systems and processes can be changed? How is my business actually running when it's not just CEO walking in in a suit and everyone's putting on a show for him? And so if you've watched this, guys will take and, and ladies will take all kinds of disguises and they'll go to great lengths to not be detected and go in and try to get on the ground and see what's actually going on. And we watch that and oftentimes we can think like, I would never get bamboozled by these fools. Like I could tell if someone was in here and disguise. That would never get by me. But the reality is there are things that Jesus is doing in and through our lives every day that we miss it even though he's right there with us. We can so easily be around the world, around, or the word, around the light, around what Jesus is doing, but we miss it. We miss it. And it's so easy to point at the other people we see missing it, but all too often we're looking somewhere else and we're missing what Jesus is doing right around us, or in us, or through us. <clears throat> and as much as this passage reveals the nature of the human heart, it reveals even more the heart of God. So it reveals that the human heart is, is corrupt, it's, it's bankrupt, it's been infected with sin. The condition of the human heart is far from God when Jesus enters into this story. And that's the easy stuff to see, and that's what people will talk about often. But what we need to realize is this also indicates to us something or some things about the heart of God. The word that created heaven and earth became like us. God came to earth as Jesus, and that action should tell us something about who he is. Years ago, Dr. Rice Brooks wrote a gospel summation that begins with this sentence, 
The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. The good news that God became man in Jesus. And the idea of God becoming man is difficult to believe for some, to, to say the least, right? Like, God became man. What? For others, it's even a scandalous idea. In, in certain religions, it is a scandalous idea that God would take the form of a man. How could God lower himself to be one of us? How does that work? And yet there is something beautiful and amazing about the fact that the word that was there from the beginning that preceded all things and contributed to the creation of all things became flesh. That that word that God through Jesus became flesh. And real quickly, I want to hit on three things that I think this reveals about God, that I pray transforms you and sinks in deeply today and helps you understand the amazing news that the Word became flesh is for each and every one of us. Amen? What does this reveal about God? First is that the creator of all things desires to be near to his people. He desires to be near to us. If he didn't desire to be near to us, he didn't have to come to earth as Jesus, right? Like, that indicates something. He had a plan, and that plan involved his nearness or proximity to us, to humanity. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace, and truth. He came close enough that we were able to see his glory. We were able to see his glory. He lived the life that we were supposed to live. And what kind of life was this? We often hear, he lived the life we were supposed to live. Yeah, cool. What does that even mean? What kind of life was that? It was a life that reflected the glory of God in a powerful way. Jesus lived a life that reflected the glory of God in a powerful way. <clears throat> Got a quote for you here. Even so was it with the all-holy Son of God. He, the image of the Father, came and dwelt in our midst in order that he might renew mankind made after himself and seek out his lost sheep. Even as he says in the gospel, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Came to seek and save that which was lost. The phrase dwelt among us translates into one word, which means pitched a tent or encamped. Think of that. He dwelt among us. He, he took up residence among us. Pitched a tent right there, right with us. Not on the outskirts of town, looking down on us. Dwelt amongst us in order that he might renew mankind who was made after himself. That he would seek out his lost sheep. That he would seek out his lost sheep. And this pitched a tent or encamped points back to Exodus 40 at the time of the tabernacle. It's another one of those. You're like, oh, dwelt among us, tent, pitched. Okay, that points back to Exodus, right? He's pointing back to when he would be among his people then. 
But this also looks ahead at what will be in Revelation 21.3, where it says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. This John 1, this idea of the word becoming flesh, reveals that the creator of all things desires to be near to us. And it also reveals that the creator of all things desires to be known. He doesn't desire to just be undercover, observing, judging, making sure that you are living your life right. He desires to be known. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. The reality is that none of us know God as we should or as we eventually will. But God was willing to humble himself to make himself known to us. He was willing to come to earth as Jesus, the word made flesh, light in the darkness, to make himself known to us. And as we go through John, we see God revealed through the life of Jesus. God, who he is, his character, his heart for his people, his mission, his redemptive purpose on earth are all revealed through the life and actions of Jesus Christ. And towards the end of Jesus' life on earth, he has this conversation pointing this out to his disciples. In John 14, 8 and 9, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? He's saying, why are you saying, show us the Father? You've seen him for the last three years. You've been walking with an earthly representation of the Father. Open your eyes and see that as you live with me, you are living with the revealed God, with God in the flesh. God desires to be known, not just by a couple people, not just by those who check all, check all the boxes of religious like manifestations in their lives and doing the right things with everything. Like, he desires to be known by each and every one of you. He desires to be known in a deep and intimate way. He wants you to have knowledge of who he is and how you can live your life in a way that brings honor and glory to him and to others. He wants you to join in on his mission to see this world redeemed to their creator. He wants to be known. And the third thing, worship team, you can come back up, is that the creator of all things desires to be received. He desires to be received. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God reveals himself through Jesus, not so we can simply have more knowledge. He doesn't reveal himself through God and say, See, there you go. Put that on your bookshelf. Add that to your encyclopedia collection. I just want you to have more knowledge about me. That is not the end goal of this. He reveals himself so that we can receive him and respond to him. 
You see, when God works amongst his people, when he imparts things to us, it is never just so that we can have the knowledge. It is so that we can be transformed and we can bring that transformation into the world wherever he would lead us. It's never about just getting something and storing it up in our head. It is always about application and bringing that good news to other people. It's about multiplication of the transformation that happens inside of us. You see that? It's never like, hey, let me give you this little nugget. Aren't you glad you have that knowledge? Yeah, thank you, my child. I'm glad you could learn that. Like, no, that, that's not how it works. He says, hey, this is true for you and about you and for everybody that I give you influence with. Now go share it because this is too good of news to be kept to yourself. It's too good of news to be kept to yourself. It's not about the knowledge. It's that we would receive him respond to him and give others the opportunity to do the same. Which naturally leads us to one of my favorite questions. How will you respond? How will we respond? What will we do about that? Will we say, oh, that's cool. I'll pray about it and see what God may say to me. If you're reading the same word I am, he's already said what you do. You acknowledge that Jesus came as God, lived the life we should have lived so that we could be made right with our creator if we would repent and believe in him in faith. That he wants to know us. He wants us to know him. Sorry, he wants us to know him. And he wants us to receive that good news and act in a way that testifies to his goodness and that he has transformed our lives. So how will you respond to that good news in your life? That good news for your life. We can reject that good news. We can reject Jesus like many did in this day that we read in John chapter one. It's like he created the world. It was his, but his own didn't really even know who he was. Like that can be the case. Or we can receive him and strive to know more about him through his word, through his community, through his mission, through prayer, communicating with him. We can receive him and pursue him he pursues us. And I believe with all my heart that that is the only right response to this amazing news that we receive. Amen. I don't think this is news that compels analyzation. I don't think this is news that says, well, I'm going to think about it and I'm going to try to calculate all of this in my mind because I happen to be pretty smart and I'm sure that God will help this all make sense in my mind before I make any decision to respond to him out of faith. I've been doing this for a few years and I've been walking with other people as they engage and pursue Jesus. And one thing I have seen time after time is that there is a decision to walk in faith and follow him. And as we do that, he reveals more about himself to us. I have never seen where every question you could ever have about God and Jesus is answered so you could make a perfectly educated decision. I just don't believe it works that way. I believe that's where faith comes in. I believe that's where trust comes in. I believe that's where community comes in. You can only learn how to drive so well from the driver's manual. At some point in time, you gotta get behind the wheel. At some point in time, you gotta get behind the wheel. And I'm imploring you here today, if you haven't gotten behind the wheel, if you haven't fully engaged with what it looks like to put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus, 
or it's been a while since you've done it, or maybe you've just been guarded because you've been hurt by some church people or you've been hurt by something else, I'm imploring you, get behind the wheel and see what God has for your life. Because all the things of this world, they may give you some sort of satisfaction from moment to moment, but they will never become anything that brings movement and momentum into your life like the gospel of Jesus Christ can. That is the one and only thing that gets you going in a direction that honors God and brings redemption into this world. That is how we are to respond. That's how we respond. The word becoming flesh, God coming to earth is Jesus. It's a divine invitation to know him and to receive him. Now, I referenced this gospel summation from Dr. Rice Brooks, who's one of the founders of Every Nation, the church family we're a part of. I'm going to read it in its entirety, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take communion. But this, in essence, is a summation of the gospel, the good news. It says, the gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died in our place. And three days later, he rose from the dead, proving he is the son of God and offering the free gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins to anyone who repents and believes in him. Anyone who repents, meaning turning from sin and running towards Jesus. Repenting, turning from the old way of life and running to this new life and believing in him, putting your faith in him. If you haven't done that before, or maybe you have in the past, but you're coming back around now, I'm just gonna pray that that gospel truth would infiltrate our lives and that we would make a decision to respond to him out of faith today as we close up. So God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity to put our faith in you, not ourselves or other human actors in this world for our salvation. That our hope and trust is not in our capability, but it's in you and your authority and your kingdom. God, I pray that the good news of your gospel would infiltrate each and every life in this church and every person that we have influence or relationship with. God, we pray that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, in Eugene, in Springfield, in Lane, in Lynn County, and all over. God, we just pray that your good news would flood this place. God, we thank you that this good news applies to us not just the person sitting next to us. And we pray that as you transform our heart, as you renew our mind, that you would help us to be a part of what you're doing in others' lives as well. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.